Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Murray Maurice, otherwise known as More Ease, a composer and multi-instrumentalist based in Austin, Texas. Murray's new mini-album Strawberry Season is out now on Leaving Records. It's a collection of pieces that goes in so many different directions. You've got lush, string-furnished pop songs. You've got generative beats. You've got soundscapes that situate the listener in supermarkets. This real open question as to what the record is going to be and mutate into next, which feels, on one hand, a little unsettling, but also really enriching and optimistic. This constant feeling of undulation and transformation. It's really great. I'll include a link to it in the show notes over on the Leaving Records Bandcamp. And big thanks to Murray for this conversation. This was really good fun. Three really interesting records. We had a good chat about them. If you're enjoying Crucial Listening, you can go over to Coffee to support the show financially, either just as a one-off payment, any amount that you please, or as a monthly thing. That's coffeeko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening. And thank you for listening. As always, I love hearing from people who have been enjoying the show. Thank you for telling me so. Okay, please enjoy this one. This is Murray Maurice, more ease on Crucial Listening. Hello, Murray. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jack. Thanks for coming on the podcast. So we are going to talk about your three important albums. Before we get to those, I want to ask about your new uh, mini album. I think it's being termed as Strawberry Season (laughs) on Leaving Records. So take me back initially to the beginning of this one. What were the first parts of this record, whether, I don't know, conceptual or sonic, or an idea or whatever that put this in motion for you strawberry season sure um so i i started working on this almost exactly a year ago um a lot of this just kind of came to be from wanting to i had a i guess let me back up a little i had a couple of sort of like bigger life events around this time i went on this tour with a band i'm in called alex alone and on this tour i reconnected with someone i was friends with and had a crush on in high school and like one thing led to another and now we're dating and live together oh wow um, congrats That's cool. but but one of the things with um reconnecting with my partner um 
my current partner was that like we had this whole history and shared a lot of music together and as I started like reconnecting with her it was also she's a musician as well I makes music as a uh, pame uh, p-a-m with a three and uh, our, a lot of our taste had grown in conjunction with one another like we were interested in a lot of the same contemporary music but also we shared this really rich like history of listening to things from the early 2000s um and so i think a lot of strawberry season was kind of like seeing the like the past in the present and the future <laughs> and being struck with how a lot of that music feels very contemporary and exciting um, and kind of exploring that in a very direct way with the work I was doing. And so this meant kind of like getting back in touch with um, things that I initially fell in love with musically. Uh, I grew up playing a lot of folk music and um, playing fiddle and violin. And this is definitely, I think, one of the most string oriented records I've released. I think there's violin on almost every track, except for maybe uh, two. And so, so there's a lot of strings and I got back into kind of like writing and recording uh, with the violin quite a bit. And then also merging that though with a lot of the practices like I've been doing in my art and my work for recent years. So a lot of field recording and also a lot of electronics, um, using the Teenage Engineering OPZ a ton on this music and also in Electron Cycles. Uh, and so a lot of this is like kind of this acknowledgement of like looking to um, kind of like the past and reflecting on that, but in this way that it like informs the present and the future. Uh, a few months ago, my partner Pamela and I also watched uh, Twin Peaks The Return. It was my <laughs> second viewing of it. And it was her first. And in that, they talk about this, like, is it future? Is it past? And I feel like that also is something that just, like, really struck me while working on this material, too, of just, like, feeling feeling like it's kind of, like, out of time uh, mm. in a way. Like, sort of, like, loosened from, from time and sort of trying to pull all of these things into it. And so a lot of the first songs I was working on I, I started kind of like channeling this, but it wasn't necessarily super conscious at first, which is kind of how I feel like most of my um, albums and recordings goes. It's like, I, I, it takes me a couple of tracks to kind of get into it until I realize what I'm actually doing. <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I think I'm like really tapping into this. But one of the first tracks I worked on was Gentle Pets and immediately it just felt like completely different for me. Um, made like a lot of music that you know has played with with folk and like acoustic instruments before but i think that that's really one of the most overt examples of that but it still didn't feel that removed um because even though there's all these acoustic guitars and and shaker and violin you know there's still like very processed vocals and like little kind of lippy synth sounds and so that was like one of the first things. And I, I started working on a lot of this material like right before um, leaving to go on tour with Lomelda and mm. Alex alone again. <laughs> and so 
I I worked on a handful of these tracks, like actually on tour with them as well. Um, the tracks "Cold" and "Souped" were things I made basically like in the back of the van while having all of these really big feelings about like you know seeing this person that I have you know had a crush on most of my life and and kind of like processing that and then that sort of causing all of this reflection and like sort of reframing of everyday environmental sounds and like kind of how I felt about approaching my own music in in the process so it was like I definitely feel like you know there's a part of it that's also kind of was made in transit in that way and sort of like being very journalistic and diaristic in terms of capturing like kind of you know found sounds and really working with what was available to me in a given moment hmm well what I love is the runtime is pretty fleeting right but you feel like certainly definitely with my first listen and continually afterwards actually you're forever unpicking what you think the record is with each piece like good first... <laughs> yeah love to hear that <laughs> but also with something that sprawls like that like as you say you've got gentle pets but then you veer into completely different terrain as the record goes and that keeps happening i've heard you say in an interview before about the fact that you generally go through a phase of just hating what you're making and then having to kind of attack it again when you feel kind of rejuvenated to do so did that happen at all with strawberry season um i would say it actually probably happened less with this (laughs) other records uh gentle pets in particular was something where i was like okay yeah this is like this feels like new territory um in a big way um and same thing with with cold too that was like another moment of just feeling like oh like i'm getting into some territory that like feels familiar but it's also sort of running wild with Hmm. um a lot of ideas that i've had i mean i think the one thing i did kind of go through with this is i felt i felt sort of secure about it like as a record i think initially because it is it does have like it does go a lot of places i think it goes a lot of places and is more perhaps than other records i've made which i feel like is saying a lot (laughs) Um, uh, yeah but that being said i i had that kind of a swage when i sent it to i with tamela my partner who is very uh non she does not hold back with criticism or feedback (laughs) and i also sent it to um to like some other friends and collaborators and was just like yeah i want you know kind of like to know what you think and it was just like it makes perfect sense as a record and i think a lot of that is because it's like kind of capturing these specific moods and themes even though it's um even though it is very diverse and i think that the element of it being fleeting is like pretty crucial too um Mm. in terms of like having that sense of like like this is it like we kind of like have this (laughs) moment of of bliss and then it just fizzles away um and so that's like a very intentional thing and so i i it's one of those things where it's like i you know kind of the sequencing and everything like it made sense to me 
but I was really concerned if it was going to make sense to every to anyone else. And uh, <laughs> I'm pretty happy. I was pretty happy when everyone I shared it with was just like, yeah, this is the record. Like, this is what it needs to be. This is like what the um, the order should be, and the sequence of songs like works perfectly for it. So very relieved about that. Definitely did not have quite as much of a um, hatred period period around this particular <laughs> set of songs um, as some of the last ones. And yeah, I think I think a lot of it for for this was really just because I was like tapping into these things that you know, were very formative for me and um, kind of wrestling with that influence in a way, trying to wrestle with that influence in a way that isn't necessarily super obvious. Mari, uh, I'm a huge fan of this one. This is great. I think, as you say, with the fleetingness as well, there is, I could ask you a lot of questions about this and <laughs> truly forever, like, but the, you know, whole strawberry season, there is a sense of emergence with it that never really goes away. Like it never kind of emerges, which I love because it brings me back in over and over again. So I personally Great. having the best thank time you. with it. Uh, oh, I encourage thank you. Love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> other people should go and have the best time with it too. I'll put links in the show notes and yes, please do check it out. Now, Mari, uh, we should talk about your important records. Uh, one question I'd like to ask about this point is the word important and how you thought about it. So was there a way that you understood the word important that led you to pick the three records that you did? Yeah, um, I mean, there's so, there's so many records. You know, I initially, for some reason, I thought it was 10 records. And I just like, <laughs> oh I like ruinously debated those 10 albums. Um, and I mean, I think like important <laughs> records, it, it it's something that's like always changing for me. Like so there have definitely been some records that have been really important to me at one period of my life that I don't necessarily feel that way about it anymore like they hmm. they were really important and really special to me you know in one moment but they didn't necessarily it wasn't doesn't necessarily apply to like what I'm interested in now um and so something like I thought about with these particular three records is I was like thinking a lot about records that I've been listening to for a while but that like still have this this sense of like um of impact in my life it's like every time i listen to them i'm still kind of like transported to the way i felt the first time i heard them hmm. um and like i feel like there are records too where no matter how many times i listen to them i am able to pull something new from it hmm. uh and and in each one of each case with the ones I picked, I was like, yeah, these are ones that like I've been listening to since I was in some cases pretty young um, that just like kind of refused to leave my um, purview in a way. Like it's just, you know, it's like it's been a consistent presence in my life. Hmm. Nice. OK, great. Which one do you want to talk about first? Why don't we start with uh, Eureka by Jim O'Rourke? Cool. All right. Nice. So, Murray, give me a little introduction as to why this one's important to you. I mean, this record is kind of like everything for me. Um, <laughs> I feel like when I heard it, it was talking about the idea of like earlier about like 
the future is the past and present. It felt like that the first time I heard it. Mm. And um, I will actually never forget it because I was uh, 19 and I was hanging out with my friend, Caitlin, and uh, actually my current partner, Pamela. uh, And we went to Austin and just like, uh, I was living in San Antonio at the time and we went to Austin and on a whim, I decided to to purchase this album. I'd known Jim O'Rourke's production um, and I was starting to get into experimental music, uh, but I was just like, okay, uh, I've heard a lot of really good things about his solo records. I had an older bandmate in this band I was in called Moth Fight who had really raved about Jim O'Rourke, but wasn't super accessible or like easy to find, especially in San Antonio at that time. Uh, but I saw that they had Eureka and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to get this. And I put it on, on the car ride home and all of us just freaked out. Uh, <laughs> we were like, because it sounded so much like things that at that time in kind of like, you know, 2008, 2009 were really popular, like a lot of kind of more orchestral pop and um even sort of more like i don't know like folk trotic uh like for lack of a better term <laughs> yeah uh things that were happening and we were just like what the fuck like i can't believe this is this exists and it's from 1999 <laughs> and like there are all these things and it sounds so but yet it sounds so new and it sounds so different and it really was like the beginning of this full blown expression uh, full blown uh obsession for me mm. um and so you know, because of this record, I got into a lot of other really great music of Jim O'Rourke's and also the people who are involved with the record as well. Um, just, you know, really kind of like chasing every single possible thread. <laughs> I think that this record too, just in terms of the way it sounds and what it does, like compositionally, it's hard for me to imagine a record that like, appeals to everything I'm interested in more (laughs) Um, because it's like I feel like Jim O'Rourke does this thing where he really takes he draws from these disparate influences and these disparate ideas but he turns it into this thing that's like extremely consistent but also that feels like totally new uh, you know, the the opening track being an Ivor Cutler cover that just like totally explodes and expands that song, I think is like a really huge example of that. Um, and also just, I think, kind of the idea of of synthesizing all of these different things into something that feels entirely new and that's like really nice to listen to but also challenging and sort of bizarrely shaped in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um it's something that, like i just really really love about this record and there's a Bert baccarat cover as well right something yes, big. yeah <laughs> what do you make of yeah. that uh, I, mean, I think it's great it's one of these things where it seems like it shouldn't work in the context (laughs) of all of this i mean it's like i think on paper when you're like okay this has like this nine minute um like very electronic title track uh that like dissolves into to drone and like blipping synthesizers and then it also has a burt Bacharach cover (laughs) and it has this almost 10 minute ivor cutler cover that is 
just like has a ton of orchestration um but it's really just the same you know melody and chord progression for that nine minutes you would think like okay this sounds like a mess but it doesn't sound that way at all um it all flows together and it's like extremely consistent and it just sort of creates its own universe in the process it's like I think that one of the things I like so much about this record is that it sort of like connects the dots between all of these ideas so that you're like, oh, there isn't anything that different from like, you know, say someone who's like on editions, Migo and Burt Bacharach and I Ivor Cutler all in one. <laughs> uh, and I think that that's like was something that really excited me and continues to excite me uh, this morning in preparation for this interview, I listened to it again and hadn't listened to it in a cup in like a few months. I'd, I'd listened to it with my bandmates um, recently while we were in Portland for a festival because someone had never heard it. And they had kind of a similar reaction where I put on, you know, women of the world and they're just like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> like amazing. Like how, like what is going on here? Um, and so that was like, uh, listening to it again, there's just so, there's so much in it that like, I've listened to this record, like probably literally hundreds of times. And I feel like I still notice things that are new, like these details or arrangements or, or melodic choices. And like today I was noticing how there's this part on movie on the way down which is my favorite song on the album and uh in the beginning there's all of these just kind of low like synth sounds and like almost kind of like a like what sounds like it might be like a classical record sample or something slowed down like well all of these shakers and um guitar are happening and i was mm -hmm. like i've never noticed this like low kind of un thing in the background um and i had that moment too on i i think it was through the night softly where i noticed this like one cello part uh that it is kind of like a counter melody and catchy i was like oh it's just one note it's just one note playing <laughs> off of like this much more complicated melody and then i was also thinking today about how a lot of the like instrumental songs have these sort of like way in the background wordless vocal parts and I think that's definitely something that's like obviously been really influential in my music <laughs> as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's it. I'm just obsessed with this record. I love everything about it. I was really struck by the lyrics to a lot of the tracks. I know some of them are yes. covers. I'm not mm -hmm. a lyrics person generally at all, but I think the sound and the general kind of tenor of the lyrics in combination is pretty wonderful so i wondered if is that a part of the record that you connect with as well oh absolutely um yeah the lyrics to this record i think are incredible it's like he has such a knack with the lyrics he writes of being so like mean and funny <laughs> yeah. but also like totally devastating at the same time um the lyrics to Movie on the Way Down just like wreck me almost every time I hear it. And it's like, it is really funny in this way. It sounds like almost kind of like condescending, like, do you feel pride? <laughs> but it's also just like a total wrecker of a line to hear someone like 
just be like, does your family make you feel pride? Uh, <laughs> oh, and it's like, it's, it's so, it's like funny that it's weak and like shattering mm. at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely feel like the lyrics to this record have been very influential and honestly, even influential on strawberry season. I feel like the lyrics to the song gentle pets are very Jimmer work in a way in that it's like this song that is about looking forward to seeing someone that you're like obsessed with who like literally barely remembers who you are. Um, And so I feel like that, you know, was kind of like an in like a very influential thing. And I think that there are some other moments as well that, uh, are heavily indebted to the way that Jim writes. And uh, yeah, I I love the words on this. I love the kind of abstract uh, scenes that are painted on the last two tracks in particular on, uh, on the title track itself. Mm-hmm. And then on the final song on the record too, it's just like, well, on Happy Holidays, the lyrics to Happy Holidays, are so funny but also like it just you get the sense of this these bizarre locations and scenes like uh i feel like happy holidays i hear that and like i imagine some like white lotus type of setting (laughs) um i mean same thing with like eureka too but eureka it feels almost like uh robotic in this way and Mm. um like this kind of vision of hell that's also this like vision of paradise (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah and i i love that i feel like that's always something i'm trying to like create too i love the contrast of like uh, of of you know writing these things that are like abstract but about like very sort of uh I, i guess in a way like very american uh very sort of notions of like what should be like pleasant and like enjoyable from this like capitalistic viewpoint and i think he does that and it's like so snarky and pointed in this way but it doesn't ever feel like overwrought or um to me it never feels overwrought and it never feels like something where he's like condescending it's like this very kind of winking thing and I think at the same time, there's a good amount of like sadness in that too. And oh, that's yeah. like, that's like something I love is like when you can be like funny and, and, and snarky, but also like make me feel something and make me feel uh, sad. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yours forever, basically, like in terms <laughs> of like songwriters who can do that. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. I get the impression because he does have this really, um, this veneer of like pleasure and like opulence almost to it at times. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he sounds like someone who is, it's almost like hyper presented though in that way because it's, I, I, you know, I've not listened to this record before you pitched it for the, the, the podcast, so this has been really cool for me, but it sounds like mm. just someone who sees the world that way because things are going a bit shit for him. Yeah, so exactly. Like... <laughs> and that's like, I mean, that's, I feel like uh, kind of like with Strawberry Season 2, that's like definitely a bit of the kind of like subtext and narrative there too, is it's like, 
yeah, you might as well enjoy strawberry season because, like, we're probably all going to die sooner than later. <laughs> like, and I think that that's, like, uh, I think that that's very present in Jim O'Rourke's, like, lyrics, especially with Eureka, where it's, like, you feel like there's this, like, it feels, it feels like you're at, like, a resort watching the world burn. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Where, where you're just, like, yeah, like, everything is like pleasant and beautiful but like also like shit's pretty fucked up <laughs> like right exactly yeah. yeah it's like women of the world you better take over because the world is going to end like i feel like that like, sets the tone for the entire rest of the record yeah that one's difficult because the melody is so infectious so i've been singing it oh, around my house but like heralding yeah. the apocalypse <laughs> around my toddler is not right. good vibes. <laughs> I love that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah, so I, I wanted to actually ask you something about that. Maybe this is a good time to do it because sure. I feel like with Strawberry Season, you've got the supermarket. Again, there's this, like, real artificial kind of capitalist veneer of normality, which is feels, I think, at times pretty intense, pretty, like, I don't know aggressive but also i've heard you talk about on the album murray i think you talk about airports at a certain point too i wonder if there's yes, something yeah. about these spaces these kind of artificially constructed sort of spaces that just tick by the oh. is particularly compelling to you oh yeah i'm obsessed with this uh <laughs> it's like something i'm like kind of endlessly fascinated by um especially growing up where I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, in the like late nineties and early two thousands, I, um, I feel like I really saw a lot of that kind of like suburban constructed capitalist, like environment excess. And like the song low resolution at Santicos is like very specifically about a Santicos movie theater there. Um, oh, wow. like that was like right next to where I grew up and it has like, it's like kind of like dumpy and they sort of continually try to turn it into like this more like boutique theater with like food and stuff. But, you know, they're still showing like Marvel movies. Like there's not like an art house theater or anything, <laughs> but it like also has continually had this like aesthetic of like kind of late eighties, early nineties. And it's like very neon and like has these columns out front. Um, and it's been something I've been really obsessed with and, and, and kind of similarly with like airports too, and how it's like this artificial environment. And for a while I worked for this company, um, where we actually like worked out of a, we work office space and, right. um, working out of that, it especially feels, I've, I haven't finished the, we work documentary, but I, they kind of touch upon this in, in the documentary of like creating this like weird artificial space that you're supposed to feel like comfortable with and like at home in. <laughs> um, and so this is something like I've been continually fascinated by, like the idea that you have these, like you essentially are creating these like worlds within worlds, but in this like very capitalistic, like um, consumer based way. Um, and I find it really interesting what that does to culture that's around that hmm. and how that affects people's comfort with things in the world. And I also find it really interesting how it affects like your perception of 
a city or it affects your perception of culture really of like being like oh this is like what i understand as like art or this is what i understand Absolutely. as music um there's a place in austin that is like terrible but i'm obsessed with it called the domain um and the domain is this giant outdoor shopping mall that actually has like apartments built into it and it basically looks like they made a fake downtown but the downtown is all like retail stores and like you know california pizza kitchen and chains and stuff oh, wow. um, but it's it's huge and i've been like kind of obsessed with this place for a while because you go there and you are just like i'm in another reality i'm in this reality <laughs> that someone has invented of telling me this is like the cultural epicenter of austin but it's all this corporate shit and um, <laughs> right. one of the things that uh, told me they had friends who came to visit and they stayed in the domain and the entire time they were in the domain they thought they were in downtown austin uh, <laughs> oh, and they nice. did not they did not realize i mean it's like this place is like 20 a 20 minute drive away from like the middle of this, <laughs> the actual city and to me it was just so fascinating to hear something like that because it's like yeah you can be these types of spaces create this environment that can make you feel so detached from what the actual reality of a place is mm -hmm. um and so like i yeah i'm like constantly thinking about that and i think that is definitely something i like love about eureka is like the whole album kind of to me at least feels like it's touching upon that like it's touching upon this idea of like we're existing in this space even though everything like outside of the space is on fire like yes, this is yes. what's going on inside of it you know yeah absolutely yeah it just kind of aggressively defies combustion it's really uh yeah, yeah. it's so fascinating um do you have maybe this changes i know you've had a undulating relationship with this record do you have a favorite mm -hmm. track yeah i think you know it consistently it's movie on the way down for me that's the one that just like both lyrically, I, it just like does everything I feel like I want in a song where <laughs> it starts off as one thing and becomes something completely different by the end of it, where mm. it starts off and it's like this more atmospheric, almost ambient piece. And there are all of these, you know, there's just such a rich like tapestry of sounds going on. Um, and then it gives way to this like super minimal like bass trombone and vocal song that is very loosely related to the beginning half and it also has like my favorite lyrics of all time um which are <laughs> you know equally devastating but also like snarky and funny <laughs> and um and i just like i'm i feel like i've definitely made multiple attempts in my life at like stealing all of the ideas in this track <laughs> um I, like i'm just i'm just obsessed with it i'm like totally fascinated by how that song got created and i feel like when i first got really into this record i was into this phase i was in this phase of my life like in you know being early in college where i would like put I would put albums on on my uh, portable CD player to fall asleep often. And this would always be the moment where I would feel like I would I would do this with Eureka 
sometimes. And I feel like this would often be the moment that things would kind of start to slip for me. Mm. Um, and I like have this really positive association with that, but also it's just a track that like I, um, listen to all the time. And it's always the one where like, if I'm sharing this record to someone else for the first time, like everybody needs to shut up and like, <laughs> listen, <laughs> like listen to how this, the arc of this unfolds because it's like really amazing. And I wouldn't even necessarily say that it was like my favorite song the first time I listened to it. But mm. it's one of these things where it's just like the more and more I've played the record, I'm just shocked by it every time. And and like I said, even today, it's like I've listened to the song, I mean, like an, an absurd amount of times. I would venture to say <laughs> it's probably one of the most listened to songs of my entire life. And wow. it's like even listening to it today, I'm like, there are textures and there are sounds that are so elegantly woven into the mix that I am noticing them for the first time. Let's go to your second important record now. Um, let's talk about uh, Private Parts by Robert Ashley. Wicked. Yeah. So again, uh, give me a little introduction as to why this one's important to you. Um, I, so Robert Ashley, I feel like was a... He, I feel like he really changed my perception of like what being a composer and artist could mean mm. um when i discovered his work i was um in college i was in my like un doing my undergraduate degree and i was pretty disillusioned i was studying music composition and i was pretty disillusioned with like the so-called world of like new music and like uh contemporary classical music uh, which also the phrase new music to describe what is contemporary classical music, I think is one of the most insulting and <laughs> just completely reductive things is just ignores everything that actually is new music. Right. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. a whole other conversation. But um, I will say I was feeling very disillusioned with that whole notion. And then the, basically this very Western prescribed idea of like what, being a quote-unquote composer meant hmm. um and then of all things i like i was starting to discover a lot of stuff from like you know 70s and 80s um experimental music that was kind of like rooted in this world or had like its roots in in that world of like academia but that was just going all of these different ways. And so I was getting really into like Alvin Lussier and Cornelius Cardew, um, people like that. And then um, I was exchanging mix CDs with this English professor I had at the time. And he put a track by Robert Ashley on one of the mix CDs. It was the song Tap Dancing in the Sand. 
And I was like, okay, like, what is happening here? Uh, I had never really heard anything quite like it. And the idea that it was framed within this context of, like, um, you know, sort of being an opera or being, like, this piece was totally fascinating to me. It was like, I was like, oh, my God, finally, there's somebody else who's, like, thinking about this and trying to experiment in this way that isn't um, so just married to like these like very Western ideals of how you experiment like as a composer. Hmm. And so um, I could have really picked almost any Robert Ashley record. I have a tattoo of the album cover automatic writing on my arm. So obviously that one is really important to me as well. Um, I feel like that is like one of my favorite pieces of music of all time. But in terms of like a record that I love to just continuously listen to, uh, Private Parts really kind of takes the cake. And I think it does something kind of similar to Eureka, I think, in that it really captures this sort of Midwestern malaise. Um, this very American, like, you know, inundated with capital ballets. But I think that, like, what Robert Ashley does with it is he really, it, it's something kind of similar to, like, how I feel that David Lynch works, too, where it's like, you really put it under this magnifying glass, and you're like, this is weird. Like, this is actually, <laughs> like, a totally weird thing. And there's something that's like kind of like beautiful and like amazing about it, even though it's also like this deeply boring and deeply, um, you know, consumeristic thing. Hmm. And so I think that that's something I really love about the text to private parts. And I love the entirety of, um, the uh, opera Perfect Lies, which both of these pieces are in as well. Hmm. But I feel like these two pieces as like their own contained work are just like these really beautiful character studies in these sketches. Like I kind of prefer listening to them removed from like the greater context of the opera and as like this sort of like mini operetta itself. And I think that there were a lot of things about hearing this piece that were so influential to me because it's like, it it is deceptively simple and complicated at the same time. And that you have like, you know, kind of limited harmonic materials and these really repetitive rhythms, but they're sort of always shaping, uh, like changing and, and undulating based off of how he's speaking. Hmm. Um, and then I also really just love the idea of like, I think one of the things that was like huge for me is like, I loved the idea of self performing your work and really putting these things about yourself that are very specific, like to you, like in this case, Robert Ashley's voice and his delivery, um, and the inflections in which he speaks. The like kind of finding this naturalistic pitch that he or like another vocalist would feel comfortable speaking these words and rhythm to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I feel like I was always really interested in because I don't, I, I 
kind of strongly dis uh, I strongly dislike the idea in like Western classical music and Western composition of like virtuosity and it being this thing that is you know allegedly quantifiable across like an instrument right, and yeah. I love the idea I feel like what Robert Ashley does with his voice and his text and with the piano playing of Blue Jean Tierney and then the work of the tabla player who's involved in these records as well um, is he really plays to individual strengths and individual um, quirks in these cases too, like uh, compositionally. And I think that that's something that was like really eye-opening to me too, because I always felt very at odds with those ideas of virtuosity in, in classical music. Uh, because like, even though I, you know, am like quote unquote classically trained in, in that world, my background is largely in folk music and largely in growing up listening to like a lot of like indie rock and a lot of like lo-fi pop and punk and stuff. And that is music that to me, I feel like it feels more naturalistic and I feel like doesn't care about, it's all about like specificity. And I think that this was like a really interesting way to deal with that in this like uh, more like academic compositional sense. And I, I love that like all of his music is like that, like automatic writing is about capturing utterances and kind of like a form of Tourette's that he has. And yeah. I think that that is like such a, like a wonderful and amazing idea too, uh, that it becomes this thing that's like very personal, but also um, very universal and it also just like sounds great it like is so enjoyable to listen to it's hypnotic mm. um the way he speaks and i love the fact that i can put it on and it's like i have the kind of like novel of all the text to perfect lives and so like i've read the actual text of this piece many times um but i also love that the meaning of the text is kind of besides the point it's more about like getting locked into this this repetition and this like kind of like just picking these pieces of the narrative out and like the way certain phrases and words jump out to you and i like really love that sensation of not having it have to be this thing that is necessarily like super um that you're super engaged with it, it can be more of this kind of like ambient backdrop that you sort of sink into but then like it's almost like you're subliminally affected by you know hearing robert ashley say two g's and eggs like all of a sudden <laughs> like you, you will catch on a phrase like that and you're like oh what is going on here um and so i love i love that about it and i love that even though like i know the text i know like what these sketches are conveying when i listen to it i don't ever really fully understand where we are or yeah. what's happening yeah. And I think that that's something that, like, I never get sick of with listening to this piece. Um, and it's definitely something that, like, I I feel like the whole way Robert Ashley approaches voice and text is very impactful for how I write lyrics and treat vocals, too. Where it's like, I kind of don't, like, I spend a lot of time on lyrics, but I know that they're not always necessarily super... Um, like coherent hmm. to like just from a sonic level and it's because i like i really like that element of mystery of like all of a sudden a phrase might just pop out to you 
you may all of a sudden understand like the text of what's happening. And a lot of times I don't necessarily include lyrics with, um, with my records, partially because I want listeners to have that experience of like, oh, I'm, I'm sort of like catching on and like gleaning these things as I'm listening to it. Uh, because that's like how I experienced this music for the first time. It was like very hard to get a hold of private parts. And I think eventually, I don't remember if I found it on Mediafire and like the glory days of, you know, MP3 <laughs> sharing. But there are also so many Robert Ashley pieces that I was able to get through uh, interlibrary loan in college. Because oh, cool. at some point I figured out, oh, I can just put in a request through, for through the library and they'll send this to me they'll just send me all of this weird music because it wasn't like there was like this huge demand for, for people looking at uh, and so i would just be like yeah i'm gonna interlibrary lo loan requests like every robert ashley cd i can possibly order and so i did that for a while and i'm so happy that now they've like repressed this album and 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 automatic writing to vinyl and to cd um and they've like done a, a new recording of of why am I blanking on it? It's like one of my favorite pieces of his. I'm I'm awful with song title names. This is something that is like a true flaw of my <laughs> brain. Is, is song titles? I I like I can tell you everything about piece, but the act, improvement is the name of the opera. But like yeah, they like just did a new recording of improvement, and I think that there's another opera that he finished right before he passed away that like has come out too. So. I'm still kind of like waiting for like the full renaissance because I feel like if people treated Robert Ashley with the same level of like analysis as like Beethoven, the world would genuinely be a better place. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you and um, Claire Rousey did a mix actually a little while back. Um, apologies. I can't remember who it was for, but I think it was called lyrics at timeless. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, for foil. Uh-huh. Yeah, thank you. So uh, I think either yourself or Claire picked change from now Eleanor's. It was me. I did, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> I figured it might be it based on me. this. Cool. Uh, yeah, talk to me about that. So how did that make into the mix? And yeah, tell me about your connection to that one. Oh, I mean, I love now Eleanor's idea because once I think I exhausted all of the interlibrary loan uh, things <laughs> I could get, I started just buying the operas on iTunes. <laughs> and that was one of the ones that was available um, at the time. And I love that piece. I think now Eleanor's idea is great. And it's one of these pieces, too, where it's like one thing I remember reading about Robert Ashley from uh, um, the artist Ed Murtha. Uh, oh, what's her last name? You probably know who I'm talking about. She has releases on um, Astral Spirits. And, like, oh, Emetta Kadambi? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, she had this great blog post back in the day about like um, cultural appropriation. And one of the things she talked about specifically was like how Robert Ashley is the rare composer who deals with these like Eastern influences or these just like, you know, these themes that are like not, not white themes. Uh, but does it in this way that isn't like disrespectful or directly taking from another culture. And one of the examples she gives is like, uh, you know, perfect lives being influenced by the Tibetan book of the dead, but how a lot of those ideas are just manifested in the way that he writes. 
Hmm. And like really subtly in the form of music, it's like he's not going out and writing like, you know, a bunch of like vague Eastern sounding stuff like, you know, like Hans Zimmer in the new Dune movie. Uh, he's just like, he's, he's taking these influences and it's just like, I like, this has profoundly affected me, but I can use, I can like express this and show this in this way. That's very, you know, respectful and like, isn't overtly like stealing from another culture. And I think now Eleanor's idea is an interesting example of that too, because there's all this writing in it about like, uh, low writers and like Mexican culture. And it, he like apparently spent a bunch of time in New Mexico um, speaking with people who were part of like these like low rider communities and working with them. And then actually like at the staging of the opera had a like low rider car showcase coinciding with it at the same time. Oh, wow. And I think that it's like it's a super fascinating thing because obviously that culture is like really huge in Texas as well. And um, is like something, you know, you see a lot growing up. And I think that he really, like the way he treats it and talks about it in now Eleanor's idea is in no way this, uh, it doesn't feel like this kind of like novelty or like you're meant to laugh at it. It's like treated as this like religious experience for these people and for this like group. And I love the way that that's folded in with this character, Eleanor, who is, like, in perfect lives and is in improvement, and how, like, it's this sort of continuation, but it's still, it's, like, it still is existing in that kind of, like, space that we were talking about earlier, too, of, mm. um, you know, these sort of, like, interesting constructed spaces, but how, like, a culture, like, grows out of that, how, like, this culture or this, like, beauty grows out of that, and so Eleanor, now Eleanor's idea I really love, and I love how that opera, like a lot of his later works, is super glossy and shiny and electronic sounding. And yeah, I just like, I was really excited about the idea of m marrying that with like uh, some of the other tracks we were working on uh, and that we were including in that mix. And I mean, I feel like there's kind of no one else that really sounds like Robert Ashley. But I feel like you can hear elements of his work in so much contemporary music because it's like whether it be like electronics or like treatment of voice, um, it's just yeah, to me, it's it's like it's so obvious that it's there. Yeah, yeah. That point you raise as well about the cultural appropriation. I think there's a line in Private Parts which caught my ear today because I think it's so overtly and knowingly occurs within a sort of nod to new age i guess it kind of knows that it's got that quality that it's kind of questioning right? yeah but there's what a line the in line? it it says something from the east uh which kind of comes out I, I i think it's in the first piece but yeah. it just struck me because i was like that almost feels like a remark on the that sort of generic treatment of something from the east as being just that you know just that sweeping quality can often be, mm -hmm. often be a, a applied from the western gaze which i thought was was great but also there's a another line on a different note where i think he just says the words very abstract um yes yeah <laughs> which i really like because... i love that too because it's like it's so i mean it's like 
it's so self-aware and it's so funny. I think that, that was, I mean, I think that that was another thing that really struck me about his work too, was that like, I had been, I had always like been really interested in making work that was like, you know, kind of like to some degree has a sense of humor about it or sort of like wrestling with like a lot of these contemporary ideas. And I feel like kind of the only way you can really do that is to laugh yeah, yeah. <laughs> in some ways. And um, I feel like his work was like one of the first things I heard where I was like, wow, this is like, it's actually talking about like real things. And it's also, it's also very like knowing about the fact that it is an abstract piece <laughs> of music and that it's like drawing these influences. And it's like, there's this whole kind of meta commentary of this guy, this like, you know, older Midwestern man who is like, realizing how this looks like to somebody outside who would be like within you know maybe his social circle normally mm. um and so i love that i love i love those moments and like he's also one of these people who i feel like kind of like jim o'rourke too it's like i love things that toe that line between being funny and snarky and also like very beautiful and devastating and I think that that's like a huge thing within private parts too. Cause it's like, it's just gorgeous musically. And like, there are parts of it that are like very profound and beautiful, but then it's like the actual scene being described as just this guy wandering around his hotel room and masturbating. <laughs> and you're like, and you're like yeah. incredible. Um, and so like, I, I love that about like all of his work too. And it's like, I think automatic writing really has that, even though that's like, you know, this abstract, like pretty intense listen, like that, you know, there are moments where all of a sudden you can hear him say, where like, I can always think of this one part where the voices are just like, so in the background on automatic writing. And then all of a sudden you hear him say, who taught me everything I know very clearly. Wow. And uh, I've always like, it always like really gets me. Um, and then another, I mean, there's so many examples of that. There's a moment in improvement where like there is supposed to be a scene of this woman talking to her therapist and the therapist just keeps going just a moment, please over and over again. Uh, and it's like, it's like this crazy, like vocoded chord every time it happens. Um, but like then the actual conversation that this woman is having with the therapist is like very intense and very very dark but then it's always interrupted by just a moment please and it's like <laughs> this like crazy thing and so like i love i love that about his work too it's like something that i feel like yeah it has been very influential for me too of like you know similar kind of like towing that line in a way <laughs> that's great uh, i should say as well this is the second time it's been picked in like I think oh, really? the last five, six episodes. Yeah, Jenny Bergamira picked it as oh, well. Um, interesting. That makes episode. sense. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I do. I do feel like everyone who does know Robert Ashley's work gets obsessed. It's like I hmm. think that if I think that like everyone I know who is really passionate about his music they're all like incredible artists usually in their own right <laughs> it's just like it's like i think you there's something about it that like it just when you get really into it like you're kind of 
you know, it, it's usually a sign that you're like a lifer in some way. <laughs> a slightly blue body light. When he is alone, he forgets sometimes to walk. He just moves. Sometimes they touch, sometimes they don't. And everything in between. As sometimes he forgets to combine talk with thinking and just thinks or just talks. Okay, Murray, we've got one more important record. Uh, if you could give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you. Absolutely. Um, so the final one is Product by Sophie. So this record was really important to me. I feel like actually what we were just talking about with Robert Ashley is a great segue to talk about this too because I feel like this is music that is very challenging but mm. very fun and funny at the same time but it also has these moments that are like very sincerely beautiful and devastating and uh I think that like I love all of her work but I feel like this record just feels so modern to me every time I listen to it and I think I really heard it at like the perfect time in my life I had just moved back to Texas from California and I was playing to and going to a lot of uh harsh noise shows and I remember one night being at the show and there was someone DJing who was playing nothing but this early PC music stuff uh so it's like you know Things like uh, like Pink and Blue and Every Night by Hannah Diamond and then some of these early Sophie singles. And I was like, what is this? I was like, this is like <laughs> everything I want right now because it's so it sounds so alien and so strange, but it still is clearly pop. It's like clearly pop music, hmm. um, but it's also like very challenging at the same time. And I remember like that night I went home and I just like downloaded everything I could from the scene and then like the next year they released product as this like compilation with like the singles and everything and I feel like the way that this album is sequenced all the tracks are sequenced and presented is just like undeniable um (laughs) with this record and also I think that like there are so many things I love about it like the sound design of everything I, I like just don't know what's happening. Anytime I like <laughs> listen to a record and I'm just like, I don't know how this person is doing this. Um, that is usually a surefire sign. I'm going to like be obsessed with it. And I still <laughs> get that sense every time I listen to this record, I feel like gradually there have been things that have started to be like, okay, I can kind of see how like this was made, but like what is going on with like this track? Um, And I love how there are all of these details, how it's like so clearly lovingly labored over, but that those details are just like oftentimes so absurd. Like my favorite track on this album is Hard. Um, And like there are so many moments in it where things just like stop or like a sound just changes and I'm like totally obsessed 
with that. Like anytime, it makes me also think of like, one of my favorite songs is uh, Small Talk by Screedy Politi. And I feel like this is like, and I know like A.G. Cook has talked a bit about being really influenced by that band. I wonder if Sophie was as well. Um, but I feel like it's almost reminds me of like the most like kind of uh, like grotesque almost permutation of that hmm. of like just like everything's changing in this way that's like really elegant, but like also really kind of ridiculous. Um, hmm. And I think also I'm realizing now I like this was completely unintentional, but like I think it is also very much I mean, given the name of the record and everything too it very much fits in that same kind of space of like really commenting on these like constructed um, spaces, these constructed like zones and spaces and taking into account all of these things with like consumerism. And I hadn't really, I like truly, this was not a planned <laughs> until we started talking done. about all these, but I guess this is like, I mean, it makes sense because it's something I'm super fascinated by, but I definitely think product is like, a huge example of that and it it does it very much like on its sleeve with like taking all these elements of like top 40 pop music and of music that i feel like at the time was not necessarily super popular it's like i feel like you can hear these really warped deconstructed like you know permutations of like you know the venga boys or like aqua <laughs> in some of these songs oh, the yeah. lyrics and like in the way the voices are treated. And I remember that felt so exciting to me when I heard this record for the first time. And when I heard these songs for the first time, I was just like, oh my God, like it's like someone took this thing that is really like kind of like the goofiest, like cartoony, corny thing and is mashing it with like the most abstract confounding music. Mm. Um, and that was something that just like was so exciting to me. And like, I feel like has always been something that like has driven a lot of like my own work of just asking these questions of like, what happens if, you know, yeah, if like I pair like Aqua with like uh, Autiker, you know, or something like that. <laughs> that's um, it, yeah. And I, and I think that that's like, that's just something I like love so much about this record. And I feel like I've had a lot of, really interesting like relation i've had a lot of i've had a very interesting and like kind of diverse set of relationships with this record too because it's something that like you know i'm very moved by emotionally for a number of reasons um but also at the same time i've like literally like worked out to this record like hard was on my like you know workout <laughs> playlist for for years um and like I've had it on like party playlist and like DJed with these tracks. And so it's one of these things where I just feel like it has had so many different lives for me in terms of how I've listened to it and enjoyed it. Uh, and I also think it's really interesting too, because I feel like it is this rare record of this sort where I think that Sophie's work is just undeniable to most people. It's like, you may not be super into what she's doing, but I feel like everyone I talk to about Sophie is just like, yeah, like it's incredible. Like, because yeah. it's just so detail oriented and it just really doesn't sound like anyone else. Uh, I feel like there are a lot of people too, who it's like, 
who like kind of try to imitate this production, but it is just so impossible to recreate um, in terms of just like the attention to detail, the processing, the like humor that's involved in it, the humor that's involved in it without it seeming like super jokey or like a novelty track. I think that mm -hmm. that's one of the things that's like so impressive to me about this record is it's like, it's like a track like Lemonade, I feel like could be so easily turned into something that's just like really cartoonish and goofy. And yet you listen to it and it's just like bizarre and amazing <laughs> and incredible, but it's also funny. Yeah, this is wicked. I just find it amazing that something this bright and full on can also feel very unfathomable. I think, as you've yes. said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's exactly, incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, the fact as well that Sophie got pulled, I guess, into doing pop productions like mm -hmm. Charlie XCX and Madonna to kind of varied critical uh, appraisal, as much as that means anything, mm -hmm. it kind of indicates this fact that it's like pop as a general scene knew that it wanted Sophie in there somewhere, but no one was really sure, like, <laughs> we ready for this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think people will be catching up to the ideas on this record for, like, decades to come. Mm. Uh, because there's just so much to unpack there. And I do think, like, I mean, when I started seeing that she was producing uh, some of these top artists, I can remember as I was happening just being, like, no way like it felt so <laughs> it felt so exciting to me because i was just like oh my god like i can't believe that people are are taking this seriously that people are just like yeah we want this sound we want this sound for our music and i think it just like truly speaks to how undeniable like her work is how undeniable mm. her sounds are and how undeniable like her songwriting is because it's like also at the core of all of these tracks it's like there are hooks even the stuff that's like even the like l-o-v-e song which is like basically a harsh noise track it's like i feel like oh there's still word. like there's still like this little like plinky melody that comes in and it's like i could like you know hum it back <laughs> you know? it's, it's crazy it's like it's like that stuff is just so apparent it seems like it's really a true love letter to pop music and mm. to like the possibilities of what pop music can be. And I think that's one of the things that like excited, excites me about this album so much and excites me about like a lot of those like kind of first wave of PC music artists was that like, it was just so clear that they liked so much music and that it was like yeah. all coming from this place of genuine interest and curiosity and like kind of figuring out how they could like stretch and work these things out and like, yeah, because it is like, yeah, there is something that's just like so fun about like, you know, kind of like 90s pop house and something like Ace of Base or, you know, uh, Venga Boys or any of these people we were talking, I was mentioning earlier, but like the idea of asking the question like, well, where can this go? Like, what if this was just more than this? Like, mm. I feel like it's that idea still seems really fresh to me. Um, I think that even though there are all of these other permutations and like people kind of like trying to take these sounds and going in more pop directions with it, I feel like no one is quite doing it like the same way as this record. 
I, I, I like don't know how to fully like define define it other than that. It's just like, yeah, this is like such a singular piece of work. And so many of those other tracks, like the early AG Cook stuff and Danielle Harrell stuff is like all like in that same vein. What I found really fascinating was seeing Sophie talk about there's interview clips and I'm going to, this isn't a direct quote, but it's in the area of how Mm -hmm. Sophie eschewed a lot of the traditional kind of percussive frameworks in, Mm -hmm. you know, the productions that Sophie was doing. So I think getting rid of hand claps or like kick drums and stuff. But when you'd like, yes, I found it almost tense to listen because I was like, how are you doing this? Because, you know, (laughs) I cling on to that kind of stuff for dear life. You know, they're like stabilizers. (laughs) And to hear someone who just doesn't need that, uh, at all and yet if unless you're consciously listening out for the absence of these things you'd never be like cool you know what just like a, a hi-hat every <laughs> quarter beat would be great here like you never wish for it it's just so yeah. amazing i i think i know what interview you're talking about because there's a quote of hers of just like i don't understand like why when you have access to create this whole array of sounds you can have sounds that are like abstract as you want and manipulated as much as you want that you would use like you know the same 808 drum (laughs) or that you would treat the same 808 drum the exact same way that everyone else has treated it Mm -hmm. um yeah and i think that that's something that like i i I mean it's like i like i love like traditional instruments as well obviously but i think that that's something i'm always kind of like asking myself too like how can i treat this differently or how like how can i use like what equipment i have what instruments i have and do something with it that is going to not be like kind of like what this is intended for like if i have all of these possibilities why can't i just like go as far as i want to with that and i feel like definitely some of the sounds on this record um we're like very influential for some of the like more sequence based tracks on strawberry season like cold and blank check mm. um and low resolution at santicos i was really trying to program these things where different parts of like the notes and the sequence would change um based off of like logic that i input to um the electronic cycles like saying okay every time this beat comes up it's going to change to this sound. So like the snare drum's never going to be the same sound or the oh, synthesizer's wow. never going to be the same sound. Um, and it's like this very subtle thing, but definitely like, you know, a track like hard is like super like powerful with that. And I think that that was definitely something that really struck me about her production and work was that it, um, it didn't adhere to like these kind of normal rules of how you would treat like instruments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so your favorite track, you say, as hard as that always been your favorite? Um, let me actually think about that. Yeah, I think hard, it's a real toss up between hard and just like we never said goodbye. Hmm. Because just like we never said goodbye, I think is such a sincerely beautiful love song. Um, and it's like truly, it's truly moving. And I think that one of the things that is so great about it is like, uh, it's so moving, but the sound palette doesn't change. And I think for me too, that was like, like one of these things where I was like really impacted by how 
you could make something that sounded so sincere and so beautiful, but with like the same set of tools that you're making this music that's like, you know, like at times like funny and like challenging um, mm. and going all of these other directions. And so like, I remember when I, when I first heard that track and first got to it, I was just like floored, like completely speechless because I was just like, I cannot believe that like, this is, this sounds the same as, as like Visey or Lemonade, <laughs> but it's this like sincere love song. And I think that that's like a testament too to like how, this is music that is like really rooted in pop. So I love just like, I ne we never said goodbye, but I'm totally obsessed with hard. Uh, <laughs> I've like, I've DJed with hard so many times. Um, and one of my favorite things to do is to loop. There's that like kind of broken down synth build. <laughs> and that particular part, I, the chords and the melodies and the way it's like edited and kind of like ramps back up, like, has genuinely made me cry uh, just because it's like so incredible, like how everything is just sort of flying around in that moment sonically. Mm. And uh, when I've like DJed with that, I like will loop that part just like into oblivion and start playing <laughs> other tracks over it. Um, like I'll like, start playing like house beats with it because it's, um, it's just so beautiful and so amazing. And I just love all those details in that song too, of like just the sounds are constantly changing. And there's also something that I think is really interesting about that too, where that song has these parts that are like very dissonant and these like riffs that are almost like proggy that come in on the verses. Um, <laughs> but then it's still so pop. It's like complete like bubblegum bliss at the same time. And so I'm just like constantly in awe of that, of that song. And, um, I've listened to like, there's a, I think an old boiler room DJ set that she has too, um, where she does this really long expanded intro with that song. And when she finally like actually drops the part where like the beat comes in, like you just get the sense that everyone is losing their mind because it's just like <laughs> the, the hard, the like rapping section that just is like looped acapella. And then finally like all the metallic, like, percussive stuff comes in and it's like you know it's just a direct recording of the audio but you get the sense listening to it you're just like yeah i would i would freak out like if i heard this in person <laughs> Mari, I have one more question for you, which is sure. about your listening and purchasing music generally. So we've covered uh -huh. a little bit of Mediafire, interlibrary loans. I don't know how much that has come up on the podcast, but it's great to hear it. <laughs> I'm, you know, yeah, such well, a library happy fan. To, yeah, happy to be in a library loan uh, stand. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how many records you're currently loaning out at the moment, but where do you tend to get your music from? these days in terms of purchasing it and yeah where do you tend to listen to it um 
I mean, I've listened to a lot of things digitally. Um, I stream a lot of things just like via Apple Music. Uh, I buy a lot of things on Bandcamp too. Literally, actually, right before this uh, interview started, I bought two records on Bandcamp. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm pretty insatiable in terms of my listening habits. It's like I just kind of constantly want to hear new things, but I love coming back to things. It makes the things that I want to come back to over and over again feel really special For because sure. I'm just trying to constantly like expose myself to as much music as possible and like I just generally love listening to new things. Like one of my favorite things to do and one one of the best perks of my job is that I get to like listen to music all day uh and so i just like sit around and I, like listen to records and do my my like little emails and uh and i love it i love that i can just like like listen to as many things as i possibly can um throughout the day so the records i just bought i bought the new ula strauss and then the new elite gymnastics record um uh-huh. really love both of those artists a lot um the jamie brooks who does elite gymnastics her like last records as a default genders is so great and i've been following ula like since her first release and she's just like consistently amazing i think all of her work is super beautiful and very diverse at the same time so yeah i I buy a lot of things from Bandcamp too and then actually i've had this recent development in my life where um i have a car that is like kind of early uh, 2010s car. <laughs> and so it doesn't have like a Bluetooth. It well, it has Bluetooth, but it doesn't really work. The quality is really bad. Uh, and it often cuts out because uh, they haven't really figured that out. And it has an aux. <laughs> um, but then it has like a crazy CD player. And so I've started buying a lot of CDs again. Yes. Um, and like I've, I listen to a lot of things on CD in the car. A lot of times I'll purchase things like if there's a record available from Boomcat that is like CD and download, or if it's a CD only, like I think I have like three Terry Timolet CDs, like DJ Sprinkles things in the car right now that are all from Boomcat. Um, and then nice. I have like, uh, I, I'll go to like, you know, record stores like Indivineer or Waterloo in Austin and occasionally purchase like CDs just for the car. Um, but I listen to, and most of my listening is just like on my phone, but, uh, it's nice to have the physical things. And like, as I've been buying CDs again too, I've like kind of forgotten how much I miss having the CD booklets and being able to like really kind of dive in and look at these liner notes and things that like, you know, information you can't necessarily find online because I'm always like obsessed with the context behind things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I like as well. Albums in cars are great. It's kind of, I don't know about you, but I just keep one in the player, which feels very novel when you have the kind of transience of yes, a digital music yeah. library. You're like, it's like an album in residence. You get in that car and it's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm playing this. It's great. You yeah. get a very specific relationship with those records. Yeah, I've definitely had that with this one DJ Sprinkles record that's been in my car. And I had um, the Celia Hollander record that Leaving released last year in my car, too, for a long time and listened to it. And now I've swapped a few of those out and I have like I still have the DJ Sprinkles in there. But I also have uh, like Juana Molina and Laid by James. Uh, And especially listening to the James record. I haven't listened to that in like (laughs) probably 10 years and it's been really interesting just being kind of like, like, oh, yeah, like, 
just being forced to sit with this record. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a nice way to put it. Um, well, Mari, thank you so much. I mean, what a treat to speak about your record, Strawberry Season. Like I say, people should definitely be getting on that. And then also your three important records were wicked too so thank you very much thanks so for sharing much yeah it was a pleasure to speak with you as well nice and to everyone listening see you next time goodbye